Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, if you'll go to the book of Exodus chapter 25, Exodus 25, and then also over in Hebrews chapter 9. Exodus 25 and Hebrews chapter 9. I am uh, I'm excited to share this message with you today. The title is Ark of Testimony. Ark of Testimony. And uh, I'm going to preface this message by letting you know I'm a little bit under the weather, so if my voice goes out and I sound like a middle school boy with his voice changing at any point, just say, help him, Jesus. If I sneeze, just close your eyes for about five seconds until I can make sure that I'm presentable up here. Um, but I didn't want to miss what I believe God is going to do this morning. I didn't want to miss. We had a, an amazing guest speaker last week. How many love Pastor Mo and the message he brought last week? It was great. Such a dear friend. This morning, today's message, I believe, and, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I believe that the Lord is going to use to significantly transform someone's life today. And, and I say that not because I've come up with some unique approach and my oration is going to wow you. My creativity is just going to transform you. No, it's because of the power of the Word of God. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that your heart is ready to be transformed. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse number 10. And this is in the context of where God has spoken to Moses to, to build the Ark of the Covenant. And it says in verse 10, and thou shalt, thou shalt make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it. And you shall make uh, on it uh, a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. Somebody say that when me. Say the testimony which I will give you. It goes on to say, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it uh, one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above it, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And it says, and I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from the mercy seat. And between the two cherub the cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. If you would go over to Hebrews chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part of it, which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind it, the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which, shall, uh, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were, this is what was in it, 
in which were the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I love you. I'm asking you to help me preach this in a way that's clear and that is compelling. Help me to say what you once said. If I say anything in and of myself, guard the people's hearts. But if what I say is from you, let it find good ground to bring forth a harvest in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen and amen. So if you walk in my office, you will see certain things that let you know about me. First of all, when you walk in, you will see photos of my sons because my sons mean the world to me. And so you will see them scattered throughout. you see some pictures of my mom because I love and miss my mom. You will see uh, Winnie the Pooh in my office because Winnie the Pooh is nostalgic for me. And I've got uh, some different characters in there. Winnie the Pooh, I've got... Uh, 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 I've got the, uh, the I, got, I got Snickers. Yeah, I do have Snickers in there. I've got, uh, I've got Ninja Turtles in there. Like, anybody remember Ninja Turtles? I've, I've got my OG G.I. Joe men. Like, I don't know if y'all remember those. Like, they're in there. Like, like, I'm a very nostalgic kind of person. That's just kind of who I am. And so, so knowing that, there's other things that you will find in there. And one thing that you will find common throughout my office here at the church as well as at home is you will see different things representing the Ark of the Covenant. And this is actually from my office. Let me just let you know this. This is not to scale. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was much larger than this. But this is just something that reminds me. And you say, well, why do you like the Ark of the Covenant so much? Because the Ark of the Covenant, to me, is the greatest representation of the presence and the mercy and the goodness of God and the picture of what Jesus accomplished for us. So every time I look at that, I think about what Jesus has done for me. Every time I look at that, I think about how his presence is now accessible for us. Every time I look at that, I think about the testimony in which he has given us, this testimony to overcome, this testimony for victory. And so this is something that's powerful in my life. It's meaningful in my life. But I want to talk to you about what it means. Because sometimes I believe if we're not careful, we get so caught up in, in things of today and, and really self-help talk and, and kind of more practical, like if you just unpack some practical skills. And that all has its place. And to be honest with you, I try to always be practical. But, but there's some things we need to know from a spiritual impact point that we understand theologically what something means, that we understand what this is talking about. We understand the gospel. We understand the power of what Jesus has accomplished in our life. And the first thing that you will notice is that on top of this, there are two cherubim. And these two cherubim are, are looking toward each other as, they're, as they're, they're, they're perched there over top of the mercy seat, looking toward the mercy seat. And these cherubim, this is not something that is new to Judaism in the sense of the symbolism of it. When you look at throughout the Canaanite and the greater Mesopotamian religious structure and landscape, you will see that this, this vision or the symbolism of these guardians of the sacred or these, these guardians of those who, who guard the access to the divine. They'll be throughout different religions, even the Babylonian religions, different Canaanite religions, even the Egyptian religions. For instance, in Egypt, you have the Sphinx. You know what the Sphinx is. That's the, the, the large thing that was built that has the head of a man, the body of a lion. Its nose has fallen off somewhere through the years because of all the... The, the weather and elements that have, have uh, taken care of that. But, but that, is, that was built because they believe it guarded those pharaohs and their tombs and the, the next life. So that symbolism isn't new. What's different with our God is our God is real, active, living, and powerful. 
And so we see that this is, this is something that is powerful, but it's also something that is symbolic. And they have a greater meaning than maybe what we may realize. And for instance, when you see them, there's two of them. And I believe there's two of them not by accident. I believe it would have been easy to put one on there. It would have been easier to, to build. There could have been three on there. But, but there's something about the power of two. And we, we see this throughout Scripture, the power of two. When we see in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus said he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus speaking again, verses 19 through 20. Again, I say to you that if, if, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. So, so this, this powerful picture of, of agreement, this powerful picture of two, this picture of witness, even in Revelation chapter 11, you have these two witnesses that show up on the scene in the end times. And, and, and again, this is, this is a powerful picture of agreement, a powerful picture of us coming together. So, so understand this. There is something that happens when we gather together as the church in the name of Jesus. There is something that happens even when two of us gather together in the name of Jesus. And what I want us to get is there is this powerful element of, 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 of being unified but also in agreement. So get this. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth, it shall be done in heaven. Can I tell you the first miracle is getting two people to agree? Because we live in a world where nobody agrees about anything. And sometimes, you ever met somebody that just takes the opposite stance no matter what? I, one of my sons, I won't name which one because I don't want to embarrass him. Like, like he likes to play, I, I hate to use the word devil's advocate, but that's the way it feels sometimes because I feel like he's, the devil's using him in that moment because it gets under my skin and gets on my nerves. But, but I, I, I can be like, man, isn't that, that sky so blue and pretty? He'll be like, it's green. It ain't green. It's green. It's not green. Yeah, it is green. But what, then I'm like, it's not green. So he's like, what if what you think is blue is actually green to me and what I think is green is actually blue to you? I'm like, thank you, Confucius. <laughs> like, like, but he'll, he'll, say, he'll just say opposite things. And then at the end of it, I'm just messing with you. I'm like, like okay, I, I get it. I see what you're saying. But, but agreement is it's like it's a miracle to get it to happen. But, but can I tell you something happens when we come into agreement? When we start locking arms together and say, I believe God for miracles in this house today, something begins to happen in the spirit realm and angels are dispatched by the Lord and miracles start showing up because of the power of agreement. Something happens when people that need healing, when we agree, something happens when people need deliverance, when we agree. And, and what I would say is before we go anywhere else, let us be a church that can come into agreement. We don't have to major on the minors, but we can gather around the major things that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the the only way to be saved, that, that Jesus is still healer, that Jesus is still a miracle working, gracious God, that Jesus mercy is good. And it's therefore be new every single morning that, that his word is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword that, that we can gather that his Holy spirit is with us and empowers us and goes before us. Like that we can gather around these essential things to know and believe what his word says is true. And when we come to together and we agree something begins to happen in our midst there's power in agreement you know we also see that not only are there these two cherubim that are facing each other but they are they are perched looking over the mercy seat let me tell you about the mercy seat for a moment 
What, what I love is the same word for mercy seat in the Old Testament Septuagint, which is, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, is the same word in the Greek New Testament used in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. That Jesus is our propitiation. His, our propitiation. It says, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So where it says propitiation, that's the same word used for mercy seat in the Septuagint of the Old Testament. And you say, well, why does that matter? Because we need to understand that this is the place that when the priest would go in, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. This is the place where God would sit. This is where he would communicate with his people from. This is when, when the Lord showed up in the temple or the tabernacle. This is the place that he showed up was at the mercy seat. Now, now for us, we've got to see it this way too. To understand that his, his presenting himself to us was founded on mercy. That him coming to talk to us is founded on mercy. How many is thankful for the mercy of God that, that he doesn't give us the judgment that we deserve, that, that he meets with us and he loves us. But we also need to see that, that this, is, this is significant because the mercy seat was, shows us the importance of the blood. Now what it also shows us is this, as there was a day coming, now catch this, there was a day coming that the lamb that would be slaughtered would also be the priest that would sprinkle the blood. See, see, the day was coming where Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, is also our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's this day coming that Jesus would both go. When he says, it is finished, he meant it is finished. When he says he, he did what he was sent to, to accomplish, he did what he was sent to accomplish. Because Jesus not only became the lamb that went and, and was sacrificed for us, shed his blood for us, but then he went into the heavenly realm and he went and he took the blood, his own blood that he shed, and he sprinkled it once and for all for the remission of our sins so there no longer has to be any other sacrifices done because his blood is enough for you and for me. For, and you can't exhaust the potency of his blood. You can't exhaust the efficacy of his ability to forgive us of our sins. You cannot exhaust his grace and his mercy. He is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is our God who has redeemed us. If you believe that, give him praise. Come on, can we just take 10 seconds and praise him for his mercy, for his blood that has been shed for us? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I think about some of the stuff I have done in my life, and I'm just like, Lord, I don't think that was me. <laughs> I think that's a false memory. At least I hope it is. But then I realized it wasn't me because when he saved me, I became a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm just so thankful for his mercy. But not only was this the mercy seat, it was a place of manifestation. And this is what I want us to get. God is a God that manifests himself to his people. Notice it says, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark and in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. That's a, that's a mouthful. We're going to circle back to that in just a moment. It says, and there I will meet with you. 
and I will speak with you from above the, mer- above the mercy seat. So, so get this. When we come together in agreement under the blood, the manifest presence and glory of God will show up. I'm going to say it again. When we come together in agreement under the blood, the manifest presence and the glory of God will show up. That, that is what he's saying. He says, I will meet with you there. I will meet with you there at the place where the blood has been shed. I will meet with you there in the place that my mercy is what triumphs. I will meet with you there. That is why we are here today. That's why we gather as the church. It's why we're the ecclesia. Is we gather together as a people that are in agreement under the blood of Jesus with our faith in Christ, our sins forgiven, and his presence manifesting in our life. But can I tell you what else it tells me? It tells me that we don't come to church just so Pastor Jason can explain scripture. That's great, and I love that, but you can read a commentary and get that. But there is something supernatural that happens when we gather as the people of God in the name of Jesus in agreement under his blood that he begins to manifest in our life. That's why people get healed in his presence. That's why people get delivered in his presence. That's why people get saved in his presence because there is something about the church coming together. It's why he says in Hebrews 10, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some will, but but to gather all that much more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching is the coming of the Lord. The closer we get to Jesus coming, the more we need this not We don't need this less. We need this more. We need each other. We need to gather in his name in agreement under his blood and let him manifest in our life and do the miracles that are needed in each and every one of us because I can guarantee you today every single person in this room needs healing in some capacity. Every one of us. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, whatever, every single one of us needs his touch. So let me ask you this. When you come, do you come expecting? Do you, do you come expecting manifestation? Do you come to bear witness? Do you, do you come with your life washed by the blood of Jesus, cleansed by the Lamb of God, and resting in his mercy, knowing that he's going to meet with us in this place? That's my prayer, is that you do. That you don't live in shame and guilt and condemnation, but you come knowing that your sins have been forgiven you. Boldness and with confidence, you approach the throne of grace. But this ark also shows... Because it has these, these poles. It is mobile. In other words, it, it's not just something that is stationary. And what I would love is it communicates this to us. It communicates that God can go before us and go anywhere we go. That, that it is, listen, you don't have to go to Jerusalem to meet with the Lord. You don't have to go to a temple somewhere to meet with the Lord because we are now the temple and tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Like, like can, I, can I tell you this? And we need to get this. I, I want us to get this. You don't have to go to the latest revival to get his presence. Like, like you don't have to. Can, can God bless it? Can God use it? Absolutely. I'm not diminishing that. What I'm saying is the same God that is in Brownsville, the same God that's in Chattanooga, the same God that's, that, that's at any other place. Go anywhere on the sphere of, of the impact. The same God that is with a, a Reinhardt Bonnke crusade in the fields of Africa is the same God that's in the streets of Shelbyville right here in Middle Tennessee. It's the same God that's with you in the pickup line, getting your kid from school. It's the same God that's 
is with you when you go into your job because he is mobile. He can go anywhere you go. And what I love about Israel is before they went somewhere, the Lord said, take up the ark, let it go in front of you and go after the ark. When we chase after his presence, we get to where he's wanting to take us into promise. We, we don't get promised by seeking promise. We get promised by seeking presence. When we go after him, he will order our steps and get us into the place that he wants us to be all along. But it also shows that he goes before us. He goes before us into the doctor's office. He goes before us in to meet with the attorney. He goes before us into the interview. He goes before us on that first date. He goes before us in whatever situation we find ourselves in. That means if he's going before me, he's preparing a place for me. He's not just preparing me for the place. He's preparing the place for me. And so he goes before us. How many is thankful for a God that goes before us? Amen. But let me also point out to you what is within the contents of this ark. In, inside of this ark, there are various things. One of the things that we find inside this ark is the Ten Commandments. And, and again, this is not to scale. Can you imagine how intimidating Moses walking out with this? <laughs> kind of takes away from the powerful scene of Charlton Heston throwing down the tablet. He's like, God wasn't dealing cards. But this is, this is a, a picture of the word of God. This is located inside the Ark of the Covenant. It, it, is, it is the word, but it also represents the law. Somebody say the law. And what I love is this, is that the law is placed within, but the mercy seat triumphs over the law. So, so in other words, the blood is sprinkled over top of where the law resides. In other words, the law doesn't have us anymore. Like the law brings death, but the spirit brings life. When, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, 3,000 people died that day. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts 2, 3,000 people were saved that day. A powerful picture that the law brings death, but the spirit brings life. And the gospel and the good news that we proclaim is not that you get Jesus so you can better keep the law, but that he liberates you and there is a new covenant in Christ and Jesus has satisfied all the conditions of the law for you and for me so that we no longer have to live under the constraint of this law. What I mean by that is we don't have to try to earn our way to heaven because we cannot earn our way way to heaven. What we do is we put our faith in Christ and watch him by his spirit transform us and to make us like Jesus. He, he, he showed us you can't get righteous yourself. You've got to lean into my righteousness to make you righteous and whole. It's also a powerful picture of the word of God. The word of God is active and alive. You know, years ago, I'm going to give the media team a heads up. I don't know if you can find it, but here in a moment, I'm going to ask you for, to put up Acts 17.6. Not yet, but here in a moment, Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Years ago, I was, I was saying, God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to speak to me. And I just need, I, I, was, I was living in a, in a duplex in Cleveland, Tennessee. I was alone. My kids were little. I, I felt depressed, felt like I had no future, no hope. Anybody ever felt just, just depressed, like you have no future, like you don't know where your life is going? It, it was one of those moments, and and I said, God, I need you to speak with me. Now, the first thing I tried was this. You ever done this? Flip open the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? So I did that. 
I was like, that ain't a good one. Let me try another one. <laughs> okay, God, this ain't working. Oh, but, but I finally, I, I remember I was writing in my journal and I said, God, I need you to speak. It was, it was May 17th, 2006. And the way my brain works, the Lord spoke to me and said, turn to today in the New Testament. It's like today. And I just written 051706. So I was like, five, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. 17th, 17th chapter, 6th verse. Remember, I asked God, let me know you're thinking about me. I feel so alone and so isolated. Can we throw up Acts 17, 6 on the screen? But when they did not find them, they dragged. I was like, ah, Jesus. <laughs> let, let, let me just leave it there. How good is God that he knew on the day and how to communicate with me on that he knows how my brain works. Turn to today in the New Testament. God, are you thinking about me? I need to know you're thinking about me. And I opened it up and as one of maybe two or three places, the name Jason is mentioned in the New Testament. How many know when the Bible says he knows you by name, he knows you by name. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the trials that you are going through. His word is living and active. And you say, what do you mean the word is living? I can tell you this. I get up here and preach every Sunday and I talk to people after the sermon and they each tell me what they got out of it, how the Holy Spirit ministered them. And I'm like, were you in the same service? There are days I walk off this stage and I'm thinking, God, I just need to stop preaching. That was bad. And I, and I get, my phone blows up. Oh my goodness, Pastor Jason, that was the best message I've ever heard in my life. I was like, was it the first message you've ever heard in your life? It changed my life because of this, this, and this, and this. And, and this other, then I get another email. God changed my life because of this, this, and this, and this. And, and you know what? If finally, after years of preaching, after, after over 20 years of preaching, you know what I figured out? It's not me. The word is living and active and the Holy Spirit will accomplish what his word was sent to accomplish. His word will not fall on the ground. It is not in Jason's ability to communicate it. It is in my ability to surrender, to shout from the rooftop what the word of the Lord already has said and what it has accomplished and what it is accomplishing today. His word is living and active and vibrant and alive and powerful and it will transform you because as I read it, it's reading me and it conforms me into the image of Jesus. His word is living. It is active. The word is in there. Another thing that's in there is this pot of manna. And the pot of manna, it literally was the bread from heaven. When Israel was hungry, God rained manna from heaven. Six days a week. On the sixth day, they, they, they gathered double so they could rest on the Sabbath. H how many know that the Lord provides for his people? But, but what I love is the name manna in Hebrew, it actually means what is it? It was the OG whatchamacallit. What is it? In other words, what is it? And, and what I've found over the years is it is whatever we need it to be. 
is sometimes his manna in our life looks like actual bread because we're hungry. Sometimes the manna from heaven actually looks like paying my rent this month. Sometimes the manna from heaven looks like God providing a job for me. Sometimes the manna from heaven is giving me peace when I've had sorrow. Sometimes the manna from heaven is giving me joy where there has been mourning. Sometimes the manna from heaven is healing the wounds of my heart that have been inflicted over the years by people. Sometimes the manna from heaven is giving me hope where there has been despair. And what I have learned about the Lord is the Lord cannot be boxed in, but rather he is a God who is on the loose, who is free, who is doing whatever he wants to do. And he meets us right where we are and he provides for us exactly what we need. That's the God we serve. So I want to raise some expectation. And I want you to, to know that no matter what you are facing, as weird as the situation may be, he can rain manna from heaven that meets your need no matter what it looks like. That's what the word shows us and says. But Jesus also, this is a picture of Christ who, he says, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. When we eat of his bread, we don't hunger again. We are satisfied. And he has given us, he also says that, that we don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we know that give us this day our daily bread. It's not just, Lord, give us Krispy Kreme, which is amazing. But it is, give me this daily, give me my daily Jesus. Give me my bread from heaven. Give me, give me the fullness of who you are. Let me, let me taste of your goodness and see and know who you are in a greater capacity. But then we also see that in this was Aaron's rod. And Aaron's rod, it was significant because Aaron's rod was disconnected, but yet, and it was dead, but yet it blossomed. Can I tell you that that is the gospel? That we were disconnected and we were dead, but yet he brings life to dead things? That we were disconnected and we were dead, yet it blossomed and fruit came from it. That, that we can see that in our life we were disconnected, we were dead, but yet the Lord meets us in our brokenness. I was far and dead in my trespasses, but the Lord breathed life into me. And because of that, the fruit of righteousness begins to get produced in my life, in your life. How many is grateful that even though we were dead in our sin, he loved us enough to save us and bring life into dead places? That's, that's the gospel. You know, we also see, and I, I, I want to read this. I wrote this down, and I, I, want, I want you just to hear this from my heart. What this, well, I feel like this whole message is really getting to. In the midst of us, God is manifesting as we are washed and covered by the blood of the Lamb. He speaks to us as his mercy is seated over his law. He will go with us wherever we go, and will provide for us miraculously with whatever we need. He will anoint us to bring life into dead places. And give us the people to speak into our life to bring us closer to him. But this is the thing I want us to get. He isn't finished yet. Amen. And what I mean by that, track with me. Notice Jesus says, it is finished. He never says, I am finished. I think sometimes we think Jesus has kicked back at the right hand of the Father, just chilling, waiting on his time to come, but he is still active. He is actually our high priest. He is going to the Father, making intercession for us. Even right now, he is our intercessor. And so we see that, that Jesus 
is our lamb. He is our mercy seat. He is our manifestation. He is our bread that came from heaven. He is our anointed life-giving high priest that brings life into dead places. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the word made flesh. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the one that angels look at, look on with holy curiosity to see the redemption unfold through his testimony in us. Like that's Jesus. Jesus working his miraculous self over us. But this is the thing I want us to get. John chapter 20, verses 11 through 13. It says, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. This is Jesus has been resurrected. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. Can, can I tell you the imagery that, that she was seeing in that tomb? And she was seeing the imagery of the Ark of the Covenant. She was seeing the imagery. For a young Jewish girl, that's what she would have, have connected this with. This angel at the foot, this angel at the head of it, and right in the middle where the body of Jesus was laying and his blood would have pulled up with his death is where the mercy seat is seen. So, so we see that she sees this powerful picture and, and that, that she sees the, the powerful picture of Christ and what he has done. And these angels look at her and they say to her, why, why are you weeping? And then the reason they're asking this question about weeping is these, these angels, one at the head, one at the feet, looking there at the, the place where the body of Jesus used to be, have just witnessed the full redemptive work of Christ, that he went to the cross that he went to the tomb and he got up on the third day. That they have just witnessed the high priest in the order of Melchizedek make a once and for all payment for us and our sin. And they're wondering, why is this woman weeping? Does she not even understand what the Messiah has just accomplished? That, that she is no longer dead in her trespasses. She no longer has no hope. She no longer has to fulfill this herself. But, but he fulfilled everything for her. The greatest news to hit the world and all of creation's history was when Jesus got up on the third day and he says, it is finished. What I have done is accomplished. Redemption has been initiated. Because Revelation 12, 10 through 12, we see what these angels are saying. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Listen. And by the word of their testimony. Interesting. The word of their testimony. Because notice that when I had you quote something earlier from me, when I had you repeat after me, it was, you will put in it the testimony that I will give you. So what I want us to get is this, is it was a progressive testimony that was unfolding. The, the pot of manna came at a time. The Ten Commandments came at a time. Aaron's rod came at a time. And it was, it was all progressive as it unfolded. And for us to understand this, we can also see that this testimony has continued in our life. And there are testimonies like, like what else is in the box Maybe it's the medical report that you open up that says you once had cancer, but now you are cancer free. 
Like, like how many know that, that that can be in the box too, this, this, this testimony of, of goodness and healing of the Lord? Maybe, maybe there's a key in there, and maybe the key could represent the chains that you used to be bound in that he has unlocked and liberated you from the prison that used to encompass your life. Or, or, or maybe it's even more practical. Maybe you were homeless, and there was a time that you lived on the street, and you just got the key to your first home that you've ever lived in, and maybe your first apartment that you've ever had, and, and it's a testimony of what God has done in your life or, or or maybe this maybe you have been single and you have been lonely and the Lord says I've got something for you that I'm giving you in your future I'm bringing a mate into your life that you can do life with how many know his testimony is still unfolding in our life and we are still overcoming the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony now notice this it's not just our testimony, it's the word of our testimony. And what I mean by that is this, is when God does something in your life, he wants you to shout about it. He wants you to talk about it. Don't, don't hold it a secret. Don't hold it back. Notice the only time Jesus told them to be silent was when he said, it is not yet my time. But can I tell you that his time has already come. He went to the cross, went to the grave, got up on the third day, and he has now ascended to the Father. We can give him all the glory that he deserves. So, so when you get healed, shout it on Facebook. It doesn't matter about the haters. Like, throw it out there anyway. Say, my God is good and he has saved me and he has healed me and he has kept me. But even this, even if he says no and we don't get healing in this lifetime, say this. Say, I know that my God is with me every step of the way and the only thing the enemy can threaten me with is heaven because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because the enemy cannot have me, nor will he ever have me and I will have peace that surpasses all understanding understanding because of the goodness of God that is with me in the land of the living. Maybe you're going about your life and you've been depressed, but I'm telling you, joy is coming where there has been depression. Peace is coming where there has been anxiety. Wholeness is coming where there has been brokenness because this is the testimony of the goodness of Jesus in our lives. Come on, can we give him praise in the house because he's worthy? Let's take a 10-second praise break while the worship team joins me on the stage. Come on. We love you, Lord. Just go ahead and stay on your feet. I'll finish faster. This is thing. I want us to get holy curiosity again. Wonder and awe, Lord, what will you do? God, I know this is what this looks like, God, but you're, you're working it in my favor. God, I, I know this is the situation, but, but my testimony, listen, listen, your testimony. I, I had a testimony service years ago. And you said, why don't we have testimony services? This is why. Years ago in the old church building. You laughed because you know what I'm talking about. You were there. I'm sorry. So, so there was a sister that shall not be named that says, I want to share my testimony. I was like, oh, this would be great. It's going to be inspiring, you know, provoke people. Sister went for about 50 minutes telling us every sin she had committed, every uncomfortable situation she had put herself in, every bad thing that had happened. And at the end she goes, and Jesus saved me. And that was it. 
I'm sitting there. I'm needing counseling by the end of this. I got like secondhand trauma. And it hit me in that moment. And, and I want us to get this, because when we say, what's my testimony, we immediately go back to what we did. That's not your testimony. Like your testimony is not, I was a crackhead. No. Your testimony is not, I had cancer. No, no, no. Your testimony is not, I was abused. Nope. Your testimony was, he set me free. Your testimony is that he, he made me whole. Your testimony is that he either healed me or he has comforted me. Like, like we, we, we've got to shift our attention from the negative and the bad. We don't overcome by what happened. We overcome by what he did for us. We overcome by the testimony of the Lord. And his testimony is you are righteous. His testimony is you are forgiven. His testimony is you are whole. His testimony is I am healing. Like his testimony is how we overcome. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through today, it is a part of your testimony. And there is powerful victory on the other side. This is the thing. We have to change what winning looks like. Because even in the moments, because the moment I say this, that there's healing, there's somebody going, well, I prayed for somebody that didn't get healed. I, I get it. I have a PhD in that. There was a moment I thought I had like the gift of the Grim Reaper. Like, you don't want me praying for you. Because I felt like everybody I prayed for was dying. But I realized something. His ways are above my ways. And either I trust him or I don't. And, and you say, well, that's, that's spinning it, whatever. You can say whatever you want to say. All I know is this. He is good to me. And in the moments of my most broken pain and loss, he has held me and sustained me. The testimony is it didn't take me out. And the testimony is this. Y'all ready for this? How can God allow us to suffer loss? I would imagine when you're living from eternity, it's a whole lot easier to see the bigger picture when things happen in time. In other words, for us, it may feel like a long separation, but in the scope of eternity, it's just a moment. Paul said our life's like a vapor. And he knows he's working all things to our good. Doesn't mean he causes all things, but he's working all things to our good. And all I know is this, is why I don't even pretend to understand it, I trust him. And I have peace that surpasses understanding. And what that means to me is, I get to the place that I trust in his character so much that I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to understand it. I can rest in peace because I rest in who he is. So today I'm gonna ask if you would, just bow your heads for a moment. If you would say, today, Pastor Jason, if this is your heart, if you're saying, I need the Lord to meet me in the midst of my story, and to shift it toward a testimony of his goodness and grace. I, I need him to heal me. I need him to heal my heart. I need him to set me free. I, need, I just need him to do something in my life today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My second question is this. If you say, I don't know Jesus, and I want to be saved. I want him to wash away my sins. I want him to forgive me. I want to have everlasting life or maybe I've known him and I've grown distant and disconnected in my fellowship with him and I just want to draw near again if you would say I want to be saved or I just simply want to come home I want to be restored I won't embarrass you but will you just raise your hand right where you are the Lord sees you where you are and the moment you raise your hand thank you sir somebody else I want to be saved thank you so much 
Somebody else, I want to be saved or restored. Come on, family. Can we praise God for those hands that just went up in this place? We're going to pray, but before we pray, I just want you to know the Lord is so much better than anything we've ever imagined. His grace is so good. His mercy is so good. And, and today's message is just a small picture, a glimpse that I want us to catch of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. So we're going to do this. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me when I say amen. If you need to go, you can go. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you in the altar. If you just want to stay in worship, you can stay in worship. But just know I love you and the Lord loves you. If you would say this with me, say, Jesus, thank you for saving me. I repent of my sins and I confess you as Lord. I will follow you all the days of my life. I am set apart and I'm made whole because of you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're still working in my life, that my testimony is still unfolding. And I trust in your goodness. In Jesus' name. Everybody says... Amen and amen. Can we give him praise in the house? If you need to go, you can go. If you want to worship, worship. If you need prayer, please come up. I love you all and God bless you.